So how many of you like cotton candy? How many of you? And those of you are not raising your hand. I mean, what's not to like? It's pure sugar. You say, well, I don't like sugar. I don't believe you. You may know it's bad for you, and you know you shouldn't eat it, and that's great. Fine, okay, but it still tastes good, right? I remember as a kid going to the L.A. County Fair with my mom and dad, and I think this was the first time I ever actually saw one of those cotton candy machines, you know, the big metal cylinder thing, and they take those little thin paper cones, and they kind of start going around, and layer after layer after layer gets added to this, and it just gets bigger and bigger, and it's, it's all pink, and it's beautiful, and it's fluffy. I remember as a kid looking at that going, that's huge. I mean, cotton candy is so much bigger than any other kind of candy that you could, you could spend your money on. And it looks so satisfying. But it lies. It lies. You take and you bite into it. And it dissolves into nothing. And that promise of satisfaction goes completely unfulfilled. And it seems to me that life in this world is so often like that. We look for satisfaction in all kinds of things that look so beautiful, so attractive, things that seem to promise us satisfaction, happiness, contentment, and then we bite into them and they don't live up to the promise. And we find ourselves disappointed. Why does that happen? What's wrong? Well, it happens because we keep looking for satisfaction in the wrong place. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God says something profound. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, pits in the ground, tanks in the ground, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. So here's our problem, according to the God who made us. We're thirsty. <laughs> We're thirsty. We all are. We have this longing for satisfaction in our souls. It's a raging thirst. And God alone is the fountain of living water who can satisfy that thirst. But instead of going to Him to satisfy that thirst, to give us satisfaction, we so often go elsewhere. We go to these cisterns that we dig, these pits in the ground that can't hold any water. And we, we find ourselves disappointed again and again and again. And one of the main places where this happens where people experience a lot of disappointment is in relationships. Relationships with other people. All you have to do is look at the facts. 
You look at the divorce statistics, and it's very clear that a lot of people are deeply disappointed in their marriages. But it's not a problem limited to marriages. You know, children have been disappointed by their parents, and parents by their children. Brothers and sisters have been disappointed by their siblings. Friends have been disappointed by their friends. There is a lot of relational disappointment in this world. Which raises a question. Is it possible that we're expecting too much from people? Are we looking for a kind of satisfaction in people that they simply can't provide? I want you to look with me at an encounter Jesus had with a woman a relationally disappointed woman. And I want you to see what he has to say. Okay, the story is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And uh, some of you, I'm sure, are going to be familiar with the story. Don't let your familiarity with the story keep you from, you know, focusing in here on what Jesus says. And if it's new to you, great. John, chapter 4. You can use one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you, or your own, or... Follow along on the screen. John chapter 4. Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, there in the Holy Land, Judea's in the south, Galilee's up in the north, in the middle is this place called Samaria in Jesus' day. And the Samaritans and the Jews really, really, really didn't like each other. And uh, it's kind of interesting that it says Jesus had to go through Samaria in the next verse. And people have wondered... Did he really have to go through? I mean, a lot of people would actually go the long way around to avoid going through Samaria, but Jesus had to go. Verse 3, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. He was tired because he was a real man. Okay, let's make sure we know that about Jesus. God but 100% man also, a real man. He wasn't like pretending to be a man, you know, wearing a costume. He was a man. And he was tired. He was thirsty. It was about the sixth hour, that's about noon, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. 
Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And uh, not to change the subject, but our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship that which you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, especially a Samaritan. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Christ? There are uh, two thirsty people in this story. Jesus is experiencing physical thirst, and so he asks the woman for a drink because he doesn't have a way to get a drink out of the well. I'm not sure he ever got it because her thirst quickly becomes the main issue in their conversation. And it's a different thirst, and it's a much deeper thirst. It's a spiritual thirst. It's a thirst we all have. For love, unconditional love and acceptance, for meaning, for significance. And Jesus is using his need for water to engage her in, her conver- in a conversation about her need for something else. I think that's really important to see here. Jesus cares about her need. He wants to satisfy her thirst. That's why he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for a drink because I've got the only water that can really satisfy you. Do you know God cares about your needs? Do you believe that? Do you know that he wants you to be satisfied? He wants you to be happy forever? So many people, I've done it myself many times, so many people think that God wants to ruin their lives. They don't want to give Jesus control of their lives because they're afraid of what he'll do. He'll mess it up. I mean, because they know better how to be happy than Jesus knows, they think. So they've got a better plan for happiness. And if that's you today... If you're resisting letting Jesus be in control of your life because you've got a better plan for happiness, you might just want to really pay attention here and consider. You might even ask yourself, how's that working for you? <laughs> Jesus wants you to be satisfied. Jesus wants you to be happy. Now, I know many well-meaning people will say, no, no, that's not true. God does not want you to be happy. And the reason they say that is because people do all kinds of dumb things and then justify it by saying, God wants me to be happy. For example, 
and I've heard men say this, a guy will say, well, I know the Bible says that leaving my wife for another woman is bad, but I can't be happy in this marriage, and so I'm going to do it, even though the Bible says not to, because I know God wants me to be happy. That's right, God wants you to be happy. That's why he says, I hate divorce, because divorce is not happy. It's foolish. So in reaction to that kind of nonsense that people will say, other people will come along, well-meaning, and say, no, 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 God doesn't want you to be happy. What God wants is for you to trust Him, and He wants you to obey Him, and He wants you to worship Him. Exactly. Right. Because it's by trusting Him and obeying Him and worshiping Him that we experience true and lasting happiness. I mean, Jesus says in verse 23, the Father seeks worshipers, those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. In other words, He's after, He's calling to Himself people who will authentically just adore Him from the heart, that experience of just adoring God and delighting in him because of who he really is. Okay, now follow, follow this chain here. So Jesus tells this woman that the father wants her to worship him. So he's after that. He's seeking that. He's seeking to help her become a worshiper of God. But he also tells her that he wants to give her living water and satisfy her. So check this out. Follow this. Jesus is seeking two things. He is seeking to turn a non-worshipper into a worshiper, and he's seeking to satisfy her soul with living water. And we all have those same issues. We need to be turned from a a non-worshipper into a worshiper of the true living God, and we need to be satisfied. And here's the deal. Those two desires, our desire to be satisfied, and God's desire to be worshipped come together in one desire. They are the same thing. Because when we genuinely worship God, you know, worship is not meant to be a dutiful, drudging, you know, duty thing that we don't get any pleasure of. You worship what you enjoy. You worship what you delight in. It feels good to praise when you actually love what you're praising. When we genuinely worship God as the greatest treasure of our lives and we enjoy how awesome He really is, we get satisfied and God gets glorified. He's worshiped. They come together. Now, our worship of God in this life is but a taste, just a glimpse of the true satisfaction that's coming because there's still so much about us that gets in the way and makes worship a, you know, kind of an up and down incomplete thing. But this foretaste we have now is just, is just a glimpse of the, of the perfect satisfaction, the eternal satisfaction that's coming. And Jesus came to make this happen. He came to make this happen. That's why he says, Uh, This is what he means when he says, a time is coming and it has now come. What's he talking about? Well, if you look ahead to John chapter 17, Jesus prays, Father, the time has come. What's he mean? 
He's talking about the time to go to the cross. The time has come. The time has come to die for our sins. To die for all of that which keeps us from being worshipers of God, keeping us separated from God, keeping us from separated from the true satisfaction that our souls long for. Okay, so now here's how this comes together as a lesson for us on dealing with disappointment in relationships, because that's what we were talking about, remember? Disappointment with relationships. Here's how it all comes together. Don't expect people to provide God-sized satisfaction. Don't expect people to provide God-sized satisfaction. In other words, don't expect people, no matter how wonderful they are, how much you love them, how much you delight in them, don't expect them to provide the satisfaction that only God can give. Why not? Well, for one reason, people will disappoint you. I'm really sorry if that kind of bursts your bubble. But if, if you have that bubble, it needs bursting. People will disappoint you. Inevitably. Always. You know, this woman has had five husbands. Five times she's married and five times been divorced. And the guy she's living with now does not love her enough to marry her. Because that's what it means when a guy says to a girl, well, hey, let's live together and let's enjoy the benefits of living together, but you know, I'm not ready for marriage. It means he doesn't love you enough to commit his life to you for the rest of his life. It means he doesn't love you enough. Don't go there. But she's there. So five marriages, five divorces, living with a guy, doesn't want to marry her. I think it's safe to assume, don't you, that she's disappointed by relationships? Don't you think? I think it's safe to say these men did not live up to her expectations. But here's the thing. Even if she had found the best husband on the planet and had married him, he still would have disappointed her. He would have. Because we're all disappointing. And women, I don't just mean we husbands are all disappointing. I mean, all of us, we are all disappointing. Even the best husband in the world, even the best wife, the best son, the best daughter, the best friend, the best human being in the world cannot quench a God-sized thirst. It can't happen. And if you expect your spouse or your child or your parent or your friend to quench that God-sized thirst, you're going to be very disappointed. And not only are you going to be disappointed, you are going to create all kinds of conflict. I've seen this so many times. This happens all the time. Where people look to another person. I've seen parents look to their kids because they've been disappointed in their marriage. So now they've got a kid and it's like, okay, here's somebody that will now love me and give me unconditional love and unconditional acceptance and unconditional approval. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've seen it so many times. So many women get married expecting their husbands to meet their need for love. For a love without conditions. Just because of who they are. 
Not because of how they look or how they dress, but just because of who they are. They so desperately long for that. And they're, they're marrying this guy and they're expecting that he will make her feel perfectly secure. And why not? I mean, the guy's been charming. He's been so warm and sensitive all through their courtship. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) And then it happens. Sometime after the wedding, he makes some comment. And it's not charming. (laughs) And maybe it's about her meatloaf. And how it's not like his mother's meatloaf. (laughs) Or maybe it's about what she's wearing. Or are you putting on weight? Or or maybe he makes a comment about her mother. But whatever it is, whatever it is, it's not warm and sensitive. And she is crushed. She is crushed. Her thirst for unwavering love without conditions has now gone unfulfilled. Now suddenly his his approval of her, his, his acceptance of her is, feels very conditional. Meanwhile, so many men get married expecting this wife to provide them to fulfill their need for significance. For significance. And why not? I mean, she's been giving him all kinds of admiration. And she's just giving him respect and honoring him and laughing at all of his stupid jokes (laughs) all through courtship what could possibly go wrong and then it happens after his thoughtless comment on the meatloaf she lets him know that he is not measuring up to her standards of manhood and she sharpens up that tongue of hers And she cuts him down to size, and he's crushed. He's bewildered. His thirst for unwavering approval. He probably won't say anything about it, but he feels it. His thirst for unwavering approval now has been unfulfilled. Suddenly, her admiration of him feels very conditional. And this doesn't just happen in marriage, it doesn't matter what the relationship is. If you expect imperfect, imperfect, fallible, sinful human beings to provide you to satisfy your God-sized thirst for unconditional love and significance and acceptance and affirmation, you're going to be disappointed because only God can satisfy a God-sized thirst. Only God has promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, and he can actually keep the promise. I mean, it is heart-wrenching to think about the events of 9-11, and all of those people who had someone in those towers, or in those planes, or in the Pentagon that never came home. Even the best husband, the best wife, the best child, the best parent can't fulfill your thirst for unconditional love 
and affirmation and acceptance and significance forever. Because eventually, even if they're great, you leave them or they leave you. People will disappoint you. But there's an even bigger problem. There's an even more important reason why you should not expect people to provide you with God-sized satisfaction. And this is, this is big. Treating people as God, which is what we do when we do that. When we treat people as God, that keeps us from God. So here's Jesus. He's having a conversation with this woman about living water and never being thirsty again. And, and she's really intrigued. And she says, yeah, well, you know, I'd like that living water. Okay, come on. Let me have it, Jesus. And what does he do? He brings up the issue. Go, call your husband and come back. Why does he do that? He knows it's a sore subject. He knows she doesn't want to talk about it. Why does he do that? Why is he making her feel so uncomfortable? What does her relational disappointment with men have to do with satisfying her deepest thirst? It has everything to do with it. Because men are her broken cistern. Relationships with men were her broken sister. Look look what she says in verse 29. This is so interesting. She goes in and she talks to the people of the town. She says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Everything? He just told her she had five husbands, and the guy she's living with now is not a husband. But that was everything to her. That was everything. Jesus had put his finger on the issue that defined her life. She kept looking to men to satisfy her thirst for unconditional love, acceptance, security. She thought if she just could find the right guy. Somewhere, there's got to be a guy. I just got to find the right guy. If she could find the right guy, then she'd be happy. Then she'd be content. Men were her broken sister. Okay, so watch this. In order for Jesus to satisfy her thirst... He's got to turn her away from her broken cistern in order to turn her toward the spring of living water. He's got to do it. He's loving her. Her problem isn't that she's just not worshiping God. Her problem is she's worshiping something else instead. And we all deal with this because we all worship something. Everybody does. We are wired to worship. And if you want to know what it is you worship, just ask yourself, what do you seek your deepest satisfaction in? What is it you are looking for to to satisfy your longing for ultimate love and fulfillment? Because whatever that is, that's what you worship. This woman was seeking God-sized satisfaction in a husband. In a relationship she thought would give her complete security and love and all that, people do it all the time. Maybe you're doing that. Maybe you're looking to your spouse or your children or your parents or a friend to love you without conditions and to make you feel significant and secure. 
to be that something great that you need to fill your soul. Because we all do. We've all got this void in us, this emptiness. And people can't fill it. That's the problem. It's too big. You know, you God-sized void and you, you put a little person in there. It doesn't work. But here's the thing. If you're asking a person to fill that void, you're not asking God to fill it. And if you don't ask God to fill it, it'll never be filled. God-sized satisfaction can only come from God. And Jesus is the only one who can bring it to us. He's the only one. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he rose from the dead. You know, see, we, we, to, we have all dishonored God countless times by seeking God-sized satisfaction and other things. And we deserve to be separated from God forever. And yet Jesus came and died and took that separation for us in order to bring us to the spring of living water. So we need to turn from our broken cisterns, whatever they are, and we need to turn to the fountain of living water. We need to realize that only Jesus is the one who can give us this God-sized satisfaction. Now, please, do not misunderstand this. Do not think that because God alone can satisfy our God-sized thirst, that means we don't need people. And we don't need relationships. That would be to totally misunderstand what I'm talking about. God made us to need relationships with people. He's the one that said it's not good for man to be alone. The problem is not in having those relationships. God designed us to love others. The problem is, is when we go to those people and say, love me, love me, love me, and give me what God alone can give me. My ultimate security and significance and love and acceptance a significance and a love that are eternal see you you thirst for these things i thirst for these things and god alone is the spring of living water that can satisfy that thirst and he wants you to come if you haven't he wants you to come to him in the person of jesus who alone bridges the gap he wants you to come and drink and be satisfied. And again, don't misunderstand. I mean, even when we come to that place of saying yes to Jesus and we first taste that living water and we just we get we get a glimmer of what real satisfaction, what real love means and real acceptance and real significance. But there's so many other things. I mean, even after we do that, we keep foolishly keep going to these cisterns. And we have to just keep coming back again and again and again saying, Jesus, you're the one. I need your water. You know, when you talk about water, it's a very interesting thing that Jesus uses to make this whole point. Water's not optional. Have you ever noticed that? And people will say, I don't need, I don't need anything. Right. Let's see how you do without air. Let's see how you do without water. You need air. You need water. You need Jesus to be the fountain of living water for your soul. Are you thirsty? Do you feel that God-sized thirst within you? Where are you going to satisfy that thirst?
Let's pray together. I'm going to give you a quiet moment if you're thirsty this morning. I want to just point you to the one who alone can satisfy that thirst. You just go to Jesus quietly and you say, Jesus, I'm thirsty. I admit it. And I realize I've been looking to other things to satisfy my deepest thirst. And you're the only one who can. So I'm asking you, Lord, to do that. Please come and satisfy me. I really want to be happy. I really want to be fulfilled. And I really want to know the purpose and live it out that you've created me for. Satisfy my thirst, Lord. If that's the uh, desire of your heart, would you just pray right now? Lord Jesus, what an incredible thing that you want to satisfy us. Uh, we so don't deserve it. And Lord, I'm guilty of, of knowing the truth and yet again and again trying to find other things that will satisfy my thirst, turning away from you. Lord, I don't want to do that. And uh, I pray you'd help all of us who feel our thirst today to just say, Lord Jesus, you alone. And help us really come to you. Help us really meet with you. Help us really come to you like we believe you really are that water we need. And satisfy us, Lord. And may the people around us see and hear of that satisfaction and help us share it with them too. We pray in your name. Amen.